Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's the epic finale for Wrestling Week here, and boy, do we have a main event for you. Amy Dumas, a.k.a. Lita, is on the show today, and this this is an episode, but more in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's also an Instagram page and uh, a Facebook page, and all of those are run by my brother and and show producer, except this week. This week, I, I really took over the show all by myself. Uh, Tristan Abraham, thank you, Tristan, for all your help. And trust me, even you will like this episode, I promise you. Uh, and once again, you, you can send him a message and he'll get the message to me. If you'd like to support this podcast, the best way is just telling all your friends about it. But if you want to support it in other ways, we do have a Patreon page. You can check that out at Turned Out a Punk, or patreon.com slash Punk. There's also... Uh, subscribing to it and rating it on your podcast platform of choice. But uh, any of that and all of that is much appreciated. And speaking of being appreciative of something, I appreciate the fine folks at Vans for saying that they're going to come aboard and sponsor this whole podcast for another year. Uh, it's been a few years now, and it really uh, it really helps, you know, not having to do it in my own pocket. So very much thank you to Vans for all their kind support for this thing so far. And, uh, and that's, I guess that's it. I guess we're going to get dive right into today's show. Well, this has been uh, quite the week right now. You're probably in the midst of WrestleMania festivities and I dropped this on you, but this is for those, those, uh, bathroom break matches. Now that we're all in our houses, we don't have to travel as far, uh, in the stadium to get to the bathroom. So, you know, you can throw on this podcast, sample it in between episodes, you know, or just feast on it afterwards or, Maybe you don't even care about wrestling and you're like, I don't know why I downloaded this. Well, if you're one of those people, I promise you, this is exactly what you signed up for when you came to Turned Out a Punk. Today on the show, Amy Dumas, a.k.a. Lita, is on the show. Now, Amy is a superstar in the, or former superstar in the WWE uh, wrestling universe. She's a Hall of Famer. She's someone that really helped usher in like a, a whole revolution in the way women wrestle. And there were people before, obviously, like Ivory, and, and, and there, were, there were definitely women that, you know, really, like, and obviously in Japan as well, all all Japan women's, of course, and and all this stuff. But, like, but I'm saying outside of, of you know, a few, you know, bright spots here and there, women in wrestling did not necessarily always have the best presentation. And, like Amy under the name Lita in the ring and Trish Stratus and, you know, wrestlers that came after have really brought a huge shift in professional wrestling to the point where women's wrestling today headlines, pay-per-views, headlines, WrestleMania, it, 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 is, it is on par now with, with men's wrestling. And it seems ridiculous to be kind of saying that, but it was not that case. And it was not the case even in recent history. But Amy was one of those people that, that changed that. And, you know, I've been a fan for a long time, obviously, watching her on TV. And I'd always heard rumors here and there that she was a punk rocker. And then I have friends that knew her. And they're like, no, for real, she's like a super real deal hardcore kid. But, oh, my gosh, uh, after doing this interview, we have found uh, another Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer to the punk 
Wrestling Connection Hall of Fame because, <laughs> oh, you're in for a treat with this one. Um, yeah, I don't think there's too much I need to kind of ramble on. Uh, El, El Chapo is the name of the record market in Mexico that we're we're trying to think of. Um, and I think that's it. There's not too many notes to get to. Uh, if you haven't heard him yet, check out Effie and David Starr's episodes from earlier this week. And, you know, that's it. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy a hardcore kid's hardcore kid with Amy Dumas on Turned Out a Punk. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Finally, it's been a long time coming, I feel like. I mean, maybe we, we didn't know it was a long time coming, but but it's finally happening. Well, this for me has been a long time coming because I swear that since I remember in the early heady days of the, the arrival of the internet, one of the first things that I remember hearing was that you were a hardcore kid and then finally getting a chance to talk to you a, a few weeks ago now, uh, maybe a few months ago now. And, and finding out how deep of a hardcore head you are, uh, it just blew my mind. I'm beyond excited to get to finally do this. Yeah, I, I it's weird to me because it's such a part of my identity that I, I guess I no, it's like not fully common knowledge that, yeah, that's how I grew up. So so maybe in more we'll know now. I'm someone who prides themselves on knowing like people were into punk rock or about punk rock. And I heard, you know, rumors that you were into punk rock and stuff like that. But it was only when I started meeting sort of mutual friends and they're like, no, no, dude, it's not like just a thing she's into. She's like a hardcore kid. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm excited to finally get to do this. Uh, but I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is Amy. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Absolutely. How do you forget when it becomes such a big part of, of who you become? Uh, I was at seventh grade or I was in seventh grade at the bus stop and my friend Carrie Burke, who had like shaved back of her head, had it like would spray the, the short part up like a peacock um, and she wore, you know, like black and, and boots and stuff. And um, and I was just like kind of like a regular person before then, just like kind of as your tomboy or whatever. And then she gave me a mixtape. And it, it changed my world. And what was on that mixtape? Do you remember, like, some of the artists? Uh, well, Seven Seconds was the main band that spoke to me. I remember there was Dag Nasty on there, D.I., uh, Dead Kennedys, uh, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, you know, the usual suspects. And that was probably, I don't know, the late 80s. So, yeah, the usual suspects. That's a pretty killer tape, you know. Like oh, and like then there was like some because she was also kind of new wave. So then yeah. there was like some Cure and, and Christian Death and you know things like that on there too. Even that's not like the bad stuff. It wasn't like Aha or something. No, it wasn't bad at all. It was just that you know, especially um, it seemed like when I grew up, it was there were more punk or hardcore dudes, and then their female counterpart a lot of time were more like the new wavers. Mm -hmm. So where did you actually, where did you, where'd you think she got into this stuff from herself? Cause it's like, once again, kind of obscure stuff to be into, certainly not mainstream as it would be, you know, in the present day. Yeah. So I didn't really ask her cause I just positioned her as my like punk rock goddess to like, <laughs> the, the, uh, um, but there was another guy on that cul-de-sac 
so she was like a year older than me. And then there was another guy that was like a year older than her. And he was, I rem- like, rem- no later was like a big record collector. So he may have influenced her in some way, but I don't want to give that to him if, mm-hmm. if she didn't, if she found, if she had older siblings or something. But so, yeah, so I was in seven, she was an eighth. And then this like record collector guy was a ninth. So um, they, they really helped shape um, you know, and, and, you know, as soon as something like that speaks to you, you're just like, I have to know everything. So, you know, it was quickly from there. Um, you know, that was just the introduction, but I very quickly went off on my own road to having to know everything about this music that made me feel, um, like it's where I was supposed to be. Were you a music fan prior to that? And what kind of stuff were you listening to? I mean, Yes and no, just as much as, you know, anything, but it it wasn't, wasn't until then that I really started buying records and seeking stuff out. I had opinions on what I liked, um, but it would be, you know, like hip hop and rock, but, um, and then, yeah, until I listened to punk rock and then there's like a huge gap between probably 87 and I don't know when I got on the road with WWE, like 2000, like if, if pop like music came out between then, I'd be like, where, what's this song? Cause I was just so like, wouldn't turn a radio on, wouldn't do anything. Um, if it wasn't punk, you know? So where'd you go kind of from there once you had this, you know, killer mixtape in your hand? Um, very shortly after I went to seven seconds and circle jerks at the Metroplex, which is like, of Atlanta, I grew up in Atlanta, so mm-hmm. Metroplex is kind of like CBGBs of of Atlanta, um, and it was super. Just so it was very small, you know. I mean, there's maybe two hundred people there or so, and so it just felt like I was part of this really dangerous club mm-hmm. that felt, and I, that's kind of how I subscribed to everything. Was like that was my my church, my club, my school, my everything. So it was like, I, even if I hadn't heard of the band or I'd only heard of the band, you know, once they came to town, any punk show that came through, I, it was like, I can't, I have to be present, you know, like it's because I, you know, this is where my people are. So that was always my, my thing. I had a system in place because I was a broke kid you know and and so i couldn't buy couldn't go to all the shows and buy merch so i would scout the flyer downtown that i wanted to take and i had a ritual of every time i would go to the show i would drive like the long way to grab the flyer off the telephone pole before i went to the show so i could have some sort of souvenir of the show but i you know, wouldn't have had any extra money to buy, buy anything. And I wanted everyone to know the show was happening. So I didn't want to take the flyer down prior to like (laughs) doors, you know? No, I was going to say, that's so considerate of you to wait till just before the show happens before you take that flyer down, because of course you want to spread that Well, then I'm cannibalizing the bands that I, that I want to support. So I'm like, I want every opportunity for people to go, but if you weren't after this, you know, it's fair game. Oh, and that seems like a weird bill, the circle jerks in seven seconds, but I guess by that time they would have been, I guess on the same circuit, but it just feels to me like the crowds would have been a little different. Was it that way or is it? No, I, I mean, I think that even through the, you know, like ourselves and soul force and new wind and, and, and all of that, the U2 years of seven seconds, yeah. I mean, they still had a very <laughs> hardcore crowd and they still played all of the, you know, the songs off walk together and the crew and everything like that too. So I didn't see their crowd changing 
too much. I just found their crowd defending or making excuses for their albums <laughs> for people that didn't like them. I also like the circle jerks have such a notorious reputation for like just pulling out the worst elements in every city. Um, you know, just so many people have come on the show. Like, I love the band. Don't get me wrong. That was one of my first shows when they canceled in Toronto, but it's just like, it, they're almost this band that has this reputation that like they would show up and all, all the, the lunkheads would come out. So I didn't, well, I didn't know, obviously I didn't have anything to compare to with that yeah, specific show, <laughs> but, um, so my thing down growing up in Atlanta and growing up in the South is we had a big skinhead contingency. And every time the skinheads would show up, it was like, everyone's tires were slashed. There were giant fights. And, and so I ended up kind of, I have less of an attachment and it's not musically, but it's like any band that was skinhead adjacent, I would kind of not end up going to because it wasn't worth it to me because I knew that the only way as a kid that I got to keep going to shows and, you know, and I'd say half the time I probably was like, I'm just going to go spend the night at Lauren's or just going to play light as a feather, stiff as a board. See you later, <laughs> mom. You know? So I, all I knew is I couldn't, the cops couldn't bring me home and I couldn't come home with a black eye. Mm-hmm. And if I were at the shows that the skinheads were at, it, like the chances were just so much greater that that was going to happen. So um, I, 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 I felt okay to not be present at those shows. And where were you kind of finding out about bands? Like, were there other kids around you other than this, you know, these two friends from the cul-de-sac or these two people from the cul-de-sac, I should say, but were there other people around you that were into this stuff? Yeah, sure. Like, you know, I hung out with the, I skated and hung out with all the skaters and they were into that music, but I, I was like super into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll was my Bible and I found the reviewers that I liked that liked some of the same stuff that I did. So I would read specifically their reviews and, you know, I'd have a sep- separate fund you know, do extra chores, knowing the new Maximum Rock and Roll was going to come out so I could pick a seven inch or two that I could um, go take the go down, go downtown and um, go buy records. And then there was this thing, there's like a little plaza right in the little five points is like the um, area in, in Atlanta. And then there's a bulletin board that had all the flyers on it. And so a lot of times I wouldn't even know the bands but if there was a flyer and there was a band that was at an all ages venue i would just go um in hopes of like feeling you know chasing that high of that just like just it feeling so so right of those like couple hours a uh a time to feel like not alienated or alone or that you just like it's oh like you these are your people a hundred percent no, it's so awesome hearing you talk like this because this is exactly the same thoughts that went through my head too. So it's just like, it's almost like this thing that just hits certain people and just once it hits you, 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 you have to run with it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's like, I just couldn't get enough. So it was like, read every magazine. Like I'd take the lyric sheet out, read, read the lyric sheet. I'd keep them with me at school sometimes. Cause it's like, if I was just feeling bored or annoyed at school and i was like oh if i can't i can't listen to these things in class so i'm just going to read the lyric sheets so they can be like playing in my head to to make it be okay i i would be lying if i said i didn't bring the committed for life lyric sheet to school with me uh, yeah. at least once so you, you you mentioned committed for life is like so i i never drank or anything because part of it i think was financial it was like i have to come i could spend two dollars on 40 i could buy like a half of a seven inch with that so um and then the other part was like like kind of the, the getting brought home by the cops so i was like 
as long as I'm not one of the bad kids. So I would just observe. And I was like, this looks like it's leading to nothing but bad things, <laughs> you know? And so I would just kind of observe the train wreck or, or that part of part of the, that part of punk rock. And I would just um, observe and I'd have a story to tell. And, then, and but I, I wasn't getting near any of that stuff because that was going to prevent me from doing the thing that I wanted to do, which was just see the bands play. And that that took precedent over anything else that seemed kind of fringe cool that went along with this, like other activities. I was like, uh, like, number one is I just have to listen to this music. And who were some of the local bands around that time that, you know, you were kind of into or that were happening? uh there's a band called afterwards and they they would open up for like all of the like that they always got the main spot um as far as like that pre-emo-y kind kind of band um there's a band called the apa um like there wasn't a huge bands that spoke to me um at often the piss artists it's just like the the atlanta scene was a little a little skinheady for me so um there was a band called Lust and Catfight and the Vendettas, uh, Bite, uh, and and so these were those were like the female bands I listened to. Um, but in uh, Saint Jane, um, Follow for Now was one of those bands. They almost like Fishbone adjacent, and they got signed to a major. So I remember feeling like happy for them, you know this this band because but they also didn't seem. They were like local, but not super punk. So I didn't feel betrayed that they signed to a major label at the time. <laughs> I just felt uh, glad for them. But, um, you know, we had that, like the, the Southeast, we would travel a lot. So, you know, I think anything South of DC, we just kind of all considered local or, you know, like later in the, the was it, um, not Pensacola, Gainesville, you know, like against mm -hmm. me and the strike anywhere and hot water and all, all those bands like later came up Amberetta and everything from, from that, like the Southeast. Um, I moved to rich, and DC in like 90, uh, 98 or so. no, no earlier than that, 95. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was around those, those became my local bands. It was like a uh, world's collide or, or, um, damnation AD and, and, um, you know, like Fugazi was a local band <laughs> at the time, but <laughs> Oh, I love all that DC stuff, especially at that time, like Damnation AD, Battery, like there's just yeah. uh, Frodis, like there's just so many yes. uh, bands from that time period that like it's such a, and it's such a, it's such a, a weird scene too, because there's like a continuum, right? Like you can really trace it back to like that first wave and, and bands. It just feels like there's like a, a, a passing down of hardcore that happens in there, like no other city. Well, sure. And then like, because there will also be like, that link right like ken olden would be that link from battery to damnation and you know and, and continue on or, or like even ian obviously on a bigger scale is like from minor threat to right to spring and and you know like all the like the guys have like in you're you're all intertwined so it mm -hmm. kind of carries that legacy forward mm -hmm. but even when you go there today like you know it feels like uh I don't know. It just feels like there's a, uh, like you're saying, like there's a, a legacy that's being carried forward to this day. Like it, it still feels like that when I go there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm out here in San Francisco now and I grew up so much on the early lookout record stuff and mm -hmm. just that whole East Bay and Gilman and any band that played Gilman, I would just like look at their show calendar and go, okay, so that's a band I have to try to figure out how to listen to. And, um, you know, just all that early lookout stuff was really influential to me. And, and the thing that was most influential, because a lot of those bands don't hold up. 
like to be honest, right? Like they're not tuned their guitars or anything, and the production values. <laughs> but that's super a charm, low. right? No. Well, right, yeah, that, exactly. So that's the thing that really spoke to me was like these dudes just like like throw like flip pizzas during the day, and then and then they get to go be in my favorite band yeah. at night, you know. Yeah. And so it really helped do that thing where I re- like don't think I've ever really had hero worship because it's like they're just like dudes that work at pizza shops, and then they get to go be in a band, and then they save their they throw the money from their tip jar and they put that in their gas tank, and then they just go play shows. And so just that really, if you can dream it, you can do it attitude you know just really helped me in my journey for professional wrestling like i didn't know that the odds were stacked against me that i should not have had success because i was like what those guys they all do that thing they just got in a pinto and like came across country and then i sleeping on my living room floor after like i just saw the coolest show i'd ever seen so why why can't i do that well it's it's almost like you kind of you well no it's almost like you did do that in wrestling like you kind of took that model and just like made your own lane yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, now with some perspective, I was like, oh, that was really cool. But when I was doing it, it was the only way I knew how. I was just like, well, you, you just kind of figure it out and keep asking questions and dig around and figure out how to do the thing you want to do. Because that's all anyone around me had ever done. So I guess going back to wrestling, like, were you into wrestling at the same time as all this is going on? No. Okay. No. <laughs> like I was not in wrestling at all. I just did not grow up with it. It was not part of, you know, of what was like put in front of me. It was like sk- skating and punk rock were the only things um that were in my world and how I was exposed to wrestling was my like I guess post high school sweetheart was Bobo from Avail and it was his big like thing like his his um separate thing was wrestling and it was so it was like don't come talk to him between 9 11 <laughs> on monday nights <laughs> and um so he would be watching the show but you know I'd, I'd pop my head in there to ask a question or something and then my popping my head in became longer and longer and then before i knew it i was like wait a minute i thought that guy was bad why is he doing that and, and then i was like these guys and then i thought of it like from a career perspective, I was like, man, these dudes have really cool jobs. And so that's, that's kind of what made me connect the dots. I was playing in some bands at the time, but I was also just taking judo for fun. And I was like, Oh, it's like being a rock star and an athlete in one, one gig. I'm going to figure out how to do that. It's funny. You mentioned like Bo watching wrestling because it was such a, it's now it's so different, right? Like now, everyone in punk and hardcore loves wrestling openly. But at that time it was something that was almost like secret for a lot of people. Like I had no idea, like, you know, people weren't open about it in the same way that they are now. I find in punk. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like my whole career, it was like, I, I never had punkers coming up to me and, and I, I felt really, it was those years while I had a pretty crazy ride and I wouldn't trade it for anything all my years active in the WWE, but I was 300 days a year on the road and I felt really alienated. I remember one time specifically feeling really just like, oh, this world is really crazy and I'm in it by myself. And I was traveling by myself that day and I stopped on South Street in Philly and I just went record shopping and I just bought and I bought like whatever 
my car rental car had at the time cds or tapes i just bought like i already had all these things but i was like i just need to listen to my people you know and just stacked up uh everything in it like it did the trick i was like okay i don't feel so alone and i feel like these are my like this is where i feel like grounded again and calmed down by listening to this really aggro music as i feel (laughs) calm um because yeah it can be kind of lonely and i didn't i didn't ever make those connections like even just now like you know us just meeting a couple months ago and finding these people like one by one that are both into wrestling and punk rock like i didn't i didn't know them and and I don't know. I, and, and I just, I've never known like what that is. Is like people don't know I'm a punk rocker or they don't want to talk to me or what, but I haven't met a ton of, of crossover people slowly. I have. And I always say to people, I'm like, spread the word, tell them it's okay. <laughs> like I'm friendly. Like I like, like I'm a sympathizer or like somebody came up to me at fest just this past year and they were like, Hey, I don't want to bother you. And and I'm like, you're, we're hanging out at a show. You're not bothering me. And was t- talking to people. And then he was like, yeah, like, I told my friend he was freaking out. I was like, tell your friends it's okay. Like, <laughs> I I really really pity you for the door you've opened for yourself now with this podcast and <laughs> saying that on here because you will have a lot of these people. But I think a part of the reason you didn't have a lot of these people coming up to you is because you made a lot of these people. Like your your time in wrestling, you know, like well, you're still in wrestling, obviously. But I mean, like that the time that we're talking about in wrestling, I should say, sorry, mm-hmm. is is so pivotal for getting a lot of the people that are into punk now into wrestling or, or just, you know, people like myself, like that was, you know, watching, you know, your, the whole wave of wrestlers that you're a part of. I was watching wrestling the whole time as a kid, but that was when I was like, oh shit, people are doing crazy things in the ring. This is awesome. And like, I, I really think that you're the reason there's a lot of these punk wrestling fans today. Well, cool. How about they come say hello to me now? Oh my God. Amy, I, I really, you should ask Robbie Brookside about after he was on this podcast, how many people hit him up to trade records afterwards. So, okay. Man, man I, he was like, definitely when I was, um, I was helping train at the performance center and I was um, producing and doing some stuff just a couple years ago. And, um, Robbie Brookside and I, talked and you know and and for you don't really when someone says like oh yeah i'm into punk you're like cool you listen to the clash like congratulations you know like (laughs) but he's super deep tracks and he knows like he will talk record collecting shop with you and and so we'd have this thing where we would just like you know walk walk through walk by you know for passing i'd be like Crip and Muttley Chicks, Blue Vinyl, No Idea Zine, you know, and like we would just kind of like yell out like records to each other that would be like, ah, that was our hello. <laughs> See, that is, that is so awesome. Like that, I know exactly what you're saying. Like when someone's like, oh, I'm into, I know the Sex Pistols or I like Black Flag when I was a kid. Like, it's like, oh, that's one thing, but to be yelling out Crimp Shrine pressing nerd info, that's another level entirely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I, it took me a minute to like, give him the credit he deserves. Cause I was just like, Oh, yeah, you know, like, and I would go like a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, be, you know, and then I was like, No, he's fully he's fully in he knows all of it. He's on the team full supporter. So um, I guess going back to that look at record stuff, how did you get into that? It was once again, through maximum rock and roll. Yep, through maximum rock and roll. Um, my like high school boyfriend or there's like a few of us like four of us that not me I was I did not have a car but it, it was like our would usually like some lookout 
material like are i can i can tell i was listening to that um the op ivy like a song came on from there and i was like oh my gosh i can tell you right where i was when this song would come on because we had the soundtrack to going to school and i was like we were like not to johnson ferry and shallowford intersection yet but we're like 10 minutes away from school and i can just see it because it was our <laughs> you know our routine 100 percent, absolutely um, so, and you, at one point you wrote it for 15, right? Is that, is that, I've heard that story. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So how that came about was much like everything at that time I saw in Maximum Rock and Roll that they were going to be on tour and it had their tour dates. So I wrote Jeff or I, or I just wrote to the PO box or whatever they ha- had, um, and said that, you know, I, I wanted to try to go to as many shows as I could. And I was really excited. They were going to be on the East coast. And he was like, well, you know, why don't you just go to all the shows on the East coast? We can just get you. And then you can roadie for us. And I was like, great. So like, meanwhile, this is like snail mail letters. Right. So then I look at the dates and so the, like the farthest on the East coast was Connecticut. And so I take a Greyhound bus from, Atlanta, I think, to Connecticut, and then walk like three and a half miles to the, like from the bus stop to the, you know, like church or VFW hall that the that the show's in, and then I find Jeff, and I'm like, hey, we wrote letters, and you said I should roadie, so I'm here, and he's like, oh cool okay so, uh, here just come with me and i remember he would go so there's already three bands in the van and um and he comes up goes up to each person one by one and he's like w- how would you feel about giving up having 12 percent left less space in the van and and then i'm like just staring at the person who's now going to have 12 percent less space space in the van if they choose and they're like uh yeah okay that's fine and I remember it was like Jack, their bass player, was just like, uh, how many people voted yet? And he's like, everyone. He's like, they all said yes. Because he's like, he for sure did not want to say yes and did not want 12%. And then, yeah, I, I was I was voted in and we just, yeah, sailed down the East Coast somehow. Um, our, I think we got $5 a day. But we also had a thing where we'd case a Denny's. So we'd find the front entrance and the back entrance. And we'd um, park at the back entrance and walk in the front entrance. Well, so, somebody would stay in the van like it was a heist. Somebody would stay in the van like <laughs> ready to go. And then we would just pull food off of all of the non-bust tables. And that's how we would eat. Oh, wow. That is like food not bombs on the road. Totally. Totally. That is awesome. Who were the other two bands in the van, if you remember? Um, Busy Baxson was the other band. And then I think there was just a like a book, um, you know, like AK Press or like a like books on 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 the road. So it was like th- like three books, people, three Busy Baxson members and then three um, 15 people. But then like like three roadies, at least, if not more, just like because it was pretty much just like a commune on wheels. <laughs> Oh, that's and then you're trying to find places to crash after the shows with how many people? Like a dozen. Well, right, people. but we're like, there's like twelve of us, but really, like six of us can sleep in the van. So yeah, yeah, we're you're used to that little space already, so that feels like a stretch out at that point, I guess. For sure. And where did you kind of go from? So you say you moved to DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, what brought you to DC? 
Um, so I was in DC because I was going to move and I had like already maybe, I don't know, given my 30 days at my, some sort some sort of kid shit, you know, like gave my 30 days at my apartment. And then, um, it was Ken Olden actually was from, from damnation battery and, and worlds collide. And, and he was visiting some friends and was like, Oh, we're getting, a, you know, we're moving, we're getting a group house. And I was like, Oh, group house. Cause I don't have an apartment after the end of the month. And he was like, well, we're, I think we're full, but you could do the laundry room for $80. Uh, we could fit you down there. I was like sold. So never been to DC. I mean, I'd like gone through with family or something, but just, yeah, two weeks later, loaded up my car, whatever fit in my cars, whatever stayed, uh, I remember throwing like my couch and stuff and just into an empty lot in downtown Atlanta and, and heading on. And I lived in the laundry room and then Ken had his first studio down there in the basement. So it was me and Ken were downstairs. Uh, he had a room and then I had the laundry room. And um, then the rest of the stuff that was down there was the recording studio. And then everybody else, like there was like 12 people that lived there. And, and so how long did you live in that house for? I lived there for a year in and a then I moved. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was great. Um, until it flooded once. And then I went to the, um, seven 11, I put my mattress on milk crate. So then when it flooded after that, it was no big deal. Also routinely flood. I mean, yeah, I think when people would overstuff the washer or something, it would like, uh, go up, but there was a drain in the floor. I, I got super into, I was on, um, a flipped schedule at that time. Um, I, volunteered at the food co-op at University of Maryland Hyattsville and then you could get food credit there so then that was my food budget was that and then I would I just like had all these rad dumpster diving spots of that I, I would know where when they would set food out and um, all kinds of stuff but then they would know I was coming so I'd, you know, roll by at like four o'clock in the morning and there'd be like a nice package next to. So I, cause they, you know, after, this was mainly after I would get busted kind of like digging through just, but it wasn't even this. Yeah. I was broke, but not really more broke than anybody else. It was more the hunt and the, the like, why, why would you pay for food if you could just get these like bag of donuts for free? So, so yeah. And then people would bust me and then they'd be like, oh, this girl comes. We just set the food next to it. So um, it was, it was, it was kind of a nutty time there, but, but I wouldn't like, it felt, felt very, it's like my own private world. Amy, I can't tell you how fucking crazy it is to hear you talking about eating dumpster donuts, having watched you wrestle on raw while eating dumpster donuts. <laughs> I love it. It's just I love so that. weird. Like when you mentioned <laughs> worlds collide, it was just like, I have a vivid memory of of like sorting my victory records in front of raw one night and looking at the world's collide seven inches just like how you know it's just like this amazing connection that punk seems to have through all these different worlds like and it's just to hear you bring that home it's just this is why i do this podcast yeah, I, I love that. You know, it's like that weird thing in Canada, right? Like, oh, you're Canadian. Do you know Trish Stratus? <laughs> yes. But like, but it, it's, it is like that with punk, though, yes, right? Like, 100%. you're like, oh, you're in Minneapolis. Do you know the Dillinger dudes? And, you know, and, and it's like, you probably do, or at least yep. you're like, no, yep. they were out of town when I was there. Like, it's not as absurd question um, that we do, like, to generalize somebody from a, a country or a state. But it's funny because, like, like you said earlier, when you were testing out Brookside, because, like, anyone could just be into you know a band but there's a difference between being like a punk 
or a hardcore kid or like being someone that's in it. And I think that's the difference, right? Like you can kind of like, like you're saying, like everyone knows everyone that's in the scene. Yeah. It's like, do you live it or yeah, like, yeah. do you have some records or like you have some memory associative memories from like a brief time in your life? Yeah, exactly. Um, what was it like going from Atlanta where there, you know, there's a skinhead problem and, and as you're saying, there's not necessarily a lot of local bands that you're connecting with to going to DC where I assume there's a lot more local bands that you're connecting with. Yeah, definitely. It seemed like everybody I knew there were in bands, whereas in Atlanta, I mean, I was younger too. And I think that probably had to do with it. It was Mm -hmm. like, well, we just skate and try to buy records. That's all we do. But in DC, and and then I think it was like, I was meeting, meeting more people. And, you know, it is like, once you meet one or two people from the scene, then you're just automatically kind of in the loop with a lot more. And so at that point, there was the Beehive Collective that had a lot of shows on top of, you know, like the Black Cat. And and then there was a VFW Hall in Southeast that had a bunch of shows as well. And so, you know, you just see those same faces all of the time. Mm -hmm. And then living with the Damnation Dudes my first year, there was, there was like people over there all the time. So it just got really easy to meet people. And then I always kind of bounced back and forth between the two scenes of the like more post-punk or punk, like discord kind of scene and, and the parkour kids from having, you know, a connection in both, both worlds. And then when I moved down or when I moved into Mount Pleasant, like into DC proper, I started playing around with some, some people in bands there because everyone just was, and everyone's basement was just kind of a practice space. And, and when I started playing, it was because it's free, right? Yeah, like if somebody can just give you a guitar, you can just borrow something. It was like way, all all of us in that group house, we'd, that was our activities. If there wasn't a band playing, it would just be to go down there and jam because it was fun and it was free. I, had you played when you were in Atlanta? No, no. I, uh, I, I started, I took guitar lessons when I was in sixth grade. I had a very traumatic event where... Um, I was, you know, like this was like tiny little guitar, like they're like closets kind of with like a window. Mm -hmm. I would walk after middle school, sixth grade to the, the guitar lesson. And the, this, my guitar teacher had a, like those like little white striped shorts, like running shorts on and his ball was hanging out. And I don't think it wasn't like he was trying to molest me. Don't like, Mm -hmm. I'm not freaked out. Like, but I was like a child. Right. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but like, get me the fuck away from it. So I told him, I just like, but I couldn't tell my mom. So I was like, I'm not going to take guitar lessons anymore. And she was like, great. Saves me 30 bucks a month or whatever, whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, So no, I it was not playing then. And it wasn't until I started when I lived at Damnation House that we just started and Ken would, um, I would pick songs and he would teach me the baseline. And when, once I got that, down he would be like okay now you can pick another song and then you know once i kind of just get that dexterity and then you could just kind of jam with whoever after you get a little some chops to you and did you form any bands that played shows let's see um i did a couple shows um one band i can't even remember the name i think it's in my book but i and uh, my friend remembers it but i forget it all the time um but it was me i was played bass and sang and then christina balot from slant six played mm-hmm. guitar and sang and then Guy from fugazi played drums and so we played a show in new york at the cooler and then i think we played another show in dc 
And then I played in another band with Christina Balat and then Greg Foreman, who played in the Delta 72 and like the Sex Stains. And he still does a lot of stuff. And another friend, Jessica, and we, we played a show in D.C. But just kind of like I was always in people's just project bands or I just jump in and kind of play around, but never, um, never got anything that stuck. From the sounds of it, you were in a lot of super groups. Like these all sound like super groups, just like saying these these rosters of people, and it's like a, a virtual who's who. Oh, and I, and I think because especially at that time, we kind of all lived in Mount Pleasant because it was the only afford, it was like affordable and kind of safe uh, place to live. So it was just you were in close proximity to all these people at all times because you're just there, right? You know, and so and if you were walked in and you hear music downstairs then you just walk down there and the next thing you know there's you know you're just like jumping in on something and and then the song is just written but it's so it's and it's so amazing to think of the fact that now through yourself there's a connection between the band helium and stone cold steve austin because <laughs> like, i just like i just can't believe like i did any of these bands record <sighs> Um, there was a band that I played. We did one. It's on somewhere. Somebody sent it to me because um, we did something at Ken's and then but not any of the, the stuff with Christina. That is so awesome. I now my goal is to track down these recordings. <laughs> this is so I can get it for you. I, I know who has to. it. Please. I know who has it, but I, I forget where how to, I don't know where my copy is, but I know who I know who has it. So what and, and where does wrestling fit into this? Because obviously you make that, you know, fabled trek to Mexico, which I, you know, obviously you've talked about a lot, but I would love to talk to you mm -hmm. about that briefly. But like, were there any at this point when you're in DC, are you kind of thinking about wrestling at, at all? Or is it still before that? Or like, where did wrestling fit in your life at this point? So, you know, like I said, I was always, I had bounced between the, the hardcore and post-punk scene which were usually for the most part very separate and I'd always done that in school too like I would have you know one group but I'd still kind of bounce around through different different ones um I like being able to connect to people even if you don't have a ton of stuff in common and, and going well what what can we connect on um so I think it was 97 ish or so and then I and once I decided I wanted to to do this, it, it was very much like I would see people as like, oh, did you hear I'm going to be a fireman? It, it was just kind of like like that. Like I didn't even know what I was saying. Like people are like, so what's new? What you, what you been up to? I'm like, oh, did you hear I'm going to be a wrestler? <laughs> and they're like, no, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It just looks like a cool job. And I started watching it. It's pretty cool, actually. So I'm going to figure out how to do that. And it was just, it was very much like matter of fact. And, but I said it like, like I knew it was ridiculous and I just kind of liked, I also liked that, that, that I knew it sounded ridiculous. And so I was like, I like doing ridiculous things. This is a ridiculous thing I should do. It, it, and it's also like manifest destiny at that point, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. I'm very accountable that way where I will say something out loud. So because I don't ever want to run into that person like a year later and go, well, whatever happened to you, you're going to be a wrestler and go, uh, well, you know, I just now I'm not. So uh, I, I do do that where I'll say things out loud specifically to hold myself accountable and and have to, it in like owe it to myself to see something through. Um, for for the sake of all of us, I'm glad you saw this through because this definitely worked <laughs> out. This was this was a good choice. 
Um, were you aware or, or a fan of any of like the sort of wrestling themed punk bands like Gordon Soli Motherfuckers, which might have been a few years later, I think, actually, or like Anti Scene or all these bands that kind of had that kind of crossover that were kind of straddling that line back then? Yes. I mean, I definitely anti-scene again from being in Atlanta and anything in the Southeast, we just kind of claim, I think they're North, North Carolina maybe or something. So, um, so yeah, it's like, a um, I knew that those guys and then had, I think, are they like buzz oven adjacent or yes. maybe just yeah. kind of, so, so, you know, I'd seen those guys play before and, and um, yeah, but, but it still seemed like, I don't know. Like I didn't know them personally or if they would, if I would talk, I always had this thing where if I would chat with people, I'm like, I don't know, maybe they don't know that I'm also wrestling. I don't want to say, by the way, I also wrestle, you know? So I was like, (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Like I would go see anti-scene and I would say, cool, good show. And they go, right on and then that that would be that <laughs> little did they know little did or they did know. they know i don't know i bet you they I, did yeah. i get okay I, knowing knowing how big fans some of those people are i i, I guarantee they did know on some level okay. at least then okay um so what was your where'd you kind of go from there like you're like i, I want to be a wrestler i'm going to be a wrestler but there's yeah. no schools at that point or or were there or, or were there i didn't know yeah. I for sure didn't know. And I'm glad I didn't know because what I could get, you know, turned on to in uh, Car- Carborough, North Carolina, I'm sure wasn't nearly as um, winding of a road that I took down in Mexico City. I uh, So I was, still, I was seeing Bo at the time from Avail and they had a six week tour planned, you know, like, you know, that summer or something mm-hmm. from the moment I decided I was going to be a wrestler till then. And so I was like, well, if you're going away for six weeks, I'll go away for six weeks. And so I started saving my money and, um, and then, um, that was like my introduction to that world was I, I bought a six week ticket down to Mexico city and like, honest, just, just hit the streets, like hit the streets and started asking people where I could see wrestling. And they had, and I was taking judo at the time. So I found a school I had, there was a, a friend of mine that was, um, I think from Cuba. And so he was like, I'll, I'll send some, uh, I think it was like early email maybe, or maybe it was snail mail. And he was like, I'll find a school where you could take judo. So I took judo three or four days a week. And then I went to the matches three or four days a week and I would just show up early and I would stay late. And, um, you know, I was the, they came up right away to me on the first day. I, I didn't, and I didn't understand why but i was like the only white girl in the entire arena and they're like what are you doing here and i was like (laughs) i want to be a wrestler and they just laughed because i mean it sounded like a a joke and then you know my story didn't change and i just kept coming and and they they finally said okay if you if you come back um we'll set you up with training and and so yeah so then i went back to richmond and saved up money again and went back down to mexico and and was introduced and officially indoctrinated to the, to the sport. And like, I think even going down by yourself to Mexico and just like wandering around asking people, you know, uh, you know, to get in wrestling seems like something that's just so, so extreme. Like, were you, were you that kind of person? Like, or is this something that's just like, you're like dead set on doing this thing. You had to find a way in. Yeah, I mean, it was so absurd, right? Like by walking around by myself asking, I'm basically going, I don't know what I'm doing here. I am by myself. 
you should probably steal everything I own. But um, yeah, I mean, it was more like, I think I call it kid power. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know that it probably was dangerous or I shouldn't have done this or that maybe, it, you know, like things could have gone terribly wrong. I was like, I'll deal with that when that happens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just... I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to be like I was totally naive, but I was just like, I mean, if I don't ask anybody, it's for sure not going to happen. So, so this is, there's maybe a more efficient way, but this is the way that I've come up with to do this. So I'm just going to see it through. And then when it doesn't work, then I can, I'll figure out a plan B. And were you trying to go to shows down there too, or did you just flip the switch and decide that no it was all wrestling all the time um i think i might have gone to one through somebody but i didn't really know any punks down there i went to that um there's like a punk market down there yeah um i forget what it's called uh uh, chapo the chapo market chapo oh chapo yeah i I don't know really i don't know i don't know something like like, i'm a a killer isn't that like somebody who's (laughs) i think it had a name where i was like oh that's a weird name but then i'm like oh it probably predates that Uh, so i'll i'll fix this in the intro i promise because i definitely went there and spent all my per diem on record so i i can find out the name very easily So, yeah, so I went there to the market and just to to make like to ground and center myself and be around (laughs) my people for a recharge. But then, yeah, I would just go venture out on my own and and asking about the Lucha Libre wherever wherever I could get anybody to give me info or, um, you know, it, it just so my last uh like weekend before i left the first time i got to be in a pre-tape with it was going to be um el Steele, who was val venus he, he had already got his contract and was going to go to wwe so he got um he was going to have his farewell match and so it, it was um rally jalisco versus el Steele, mask versus mask and i got to be in like a vignette pre-tape leading up to that and that was like my first taste uh, of getting to be involved in any way. And then um, when I came back, I got to start training. And how many live wrestling events had you been to prior to going to Mexico, do you think? Like two. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, you know, just because I've, you know, not, not, I've, I haven't been around the world in any sort of real direct way, but just because I've been kind of around, there's, there's an etiquette and a way you have to carry yourself. And if you don't like, you know, at, at best you just lose respect but at worst it could get way worse um did you just pick on those social cues pick up on those social cues uh, on the fly or were you kind of hip to like how you should carry yourself backstage or anything like that beforehand well i didn't i mean i wasn't getting backstage to any of these shows i was just buying a ticket and just showing up early but you know there's no um guardrail or like you so, like you're also backstage even though you're in front of house <laughs> like there's kind of not a big um like like you know you can just kind of walk wherever and then i would wait at the end and those guys those wrestlers just kind of like you know have their mask on and walk and get on the subway or whatever you know all but the very top guys and they might get a ride from somebody so um so you know i was just kind of they just saw me around and i think part of being able to pick up on the cues is i was learning i mean also when i first got there all i had had was spanish in high school and but I was by myself, so I very much was able to harness every word I'd ever learned in there and pull it to the front of my brain. And I had to earn my vocabulary by starving or getting taking a wrong turn because I didn't understand something or whatever, you know. And so it was okay, but I wasn't 
great at it. So I think a lot of that was just like, oh, the quiet white girl. Um, so I, I kind of probably stayed out of stepping in, stepping in shit more than once just due to a language barrier while also soaking everything in and, and, and just observing as well. And also having been like kind of around Lucha stuff, it's, it's, it can be a really wild scene. And I can't imagine a further place other than the WWE when you go there, I guess, but then from DC hardcore at that same time period, what was that like, you know, personally, culturally, just to kind of go from like, you know, like the vegan co-op world of nineties hardcore to, to backstage Lucha. I, I would say it's the closest thing that ever brought me going. To, I remember my first show, my first Lucha show in Coliseo um, is probably the, the, the closest I've felt to, to that first punk show. Mm. Whereas you're just like, senses are heightened. Everything is just like, you're just so alive, you know? So it very much felt, felt like that again. Whereas like you're saying, by the time I had left that DC scene, it's like, it was my life and my culture and my world. But I can't say that every single show I was like, gotta get there early. Ah, gotta be up front. Gotta sing every single word. I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a show. I'll see you guys there. You know, like, um, but going back to that first show at Coliseo was very much like, holy shit. Like this is, I gotta, I can't not be here or be a part of this. I, 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 even just outside of the experience, I mean, just like on a personal level, like just going from a place where there's like a lot of vegan straight edge kids, for example, to a place where there's people drinking backstage. Um, mm -hmm. you know, at a show, like that must've been a culture shock, like to, to go from, you know, one extreme to another extreme. Uh, are you speaking specifically about drugs and alcohol in, I, in wrestling or, or just it being a totally different culture? No, totally different culture, not specifically drugs and alcohol. I mean, like anything, like, I think if you start going to heavy metal concerts, having gone mm -hmm. from like DC hardcore at that time period, it would be a culture shock and an adjustment just because that's a very you know, like a very specific strain of hardcore that we're talking about yeah. here. That's very political, very aware. Like, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's unlike hardcore in other parts of the country. For sure. So, I mean, I think going there, it was just, it, it was so, I, I mean, I, I get excited just talking about it. Cause it's like every foot in front of the other, you're like learning something new, soaking in something new, experiencing. It's like, you're not just, I'm not just like hopping on the subway and going to judo practice. I'm like, you know, yes, I'm hopping on the subway and going to judo practice, but it's like, it's so much shit happens along the way, even just, just to go do that. And so I really welcome that in my life. And I really, I, I love feeling like I'm like, I don't know anything I'm supposed to be doing right now. I don't know the answers to any questions. I don't know what's happening. Like, but I'm going to, you know, as I'm figuring this out. And so I really, I like that a lot. And so it was for sure it was like that. And, um, you know, I, I felt, you know, when you're really young, especially like not getting, like just getting into the scene and you want to be like, yeah, 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 I've heard of that band. And then you have to try to figure out who that band is because you want to make sure you like <laughs> have street cred. Like I found out really quickly that I was like, oh, you miss out on stuff if you do that. So just don't do that. So I, I like have always had no, not, not always after I felt like I was missing out on stuff, trying to be cool. I, I'll, I'm very quick to go. I don't know the answer to that. What are you saying? I don't understand this. How do I do this? And, and, um, because that's how you get the experience. So that was me down there in Mexico, just like asking everything. But but my my little like attachment to my hardcore world is there was the um, 
the Krishna like vegetarian buffet was like for donation, like not too far from where I was staying. So that would be my lunch every day. And there'd be like mainly Krishna people, but like some, there'd be like always like one or two punkers in there that you just kind of give, give the, like the nod to. Um, so that was like a little kind of attachment to my, to my old world while I was exploring my, my new thing there in Mexico city. And once again, now it's changed and there's a lot more crossover, but down in Mexico at that time, were there any other people that were in a punk and hardcore that you're meeting in wrestling? No, I mean, it was like, there was a wrestler back then called like heavy metal and yeah. like he would have thought we we're like bros, but we really did not listen to any of the same music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't see, uh, you know, him. Or like Damien six, six, six. There yeah. was one too yeah. also, but like, maybe he'd be like, yeah, totally. You like Metallica or something, you know? <laughs> so that was probably like the closest we were like, Slayer or something like that. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, Amy, this has been incredible and I've kept you for a long time. And would you at some point come back for a part two on this thing? Yeah, yeah, totally. We're, we're like, we have, I haven't even got hired by WWE. Like we're so much more. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like decades I, to cover before, before <laughs> I let you go though, I'd love to kind of find out about, yeah, like, you know, getting hired by the WWE and going from, you know, being like a, a someone who's dumpster diving to being a, a superstar, like, and, and mm -hmm. eventually, you know, someone that ushered in a whole wave of wrestling but like that that is a a, a meteoric rise yeah i mean i, I think because it, it was ever since i announced out loud that oh did you go by the way do you know i was going to be a wrestler until i was signed the contract at wwe all the way up until when i broke my neck in 2002 which i'd been active for like a little over probably two and a half years on the roster mm -hmm. um I did not even have a chance to stop and think and digest or or wonder what else I would be doing or, wow, how did I get here? It's like I didn't have even a second to think of that until then because it was just like I didn't want to lose any momentum. I didn't want – I wanted to take that information that I got from asking those questions and keep pulling it forward and pulling it forward to try to get to where I was trying to get. And so um, there wasn't a lot of thinking at the time or, or even processing it, like, should I be freaked out or, or stoked? I didn't even get to be stoked that much because I was so busy just um, putting one foot in front of the other, really. Mm -hmm. And I guess like the the – you know, I don't know. Are the motivations different? Do you think when between like punk rock and in wrestling, like it, it, you know, like it feels like wrestling's a lot more honest about you know money being a lot of the goal that, but punk and punk rock's a lot more, you know, uh, moralistic about the fact that it's not about money, even though ultimately it is about money in a lot of cases. But like, did did you feel that? Is there a difference between those two places, or am I just picking that up as an outsider? Well, so it was. It was really weird because I didn't put a whole lot of thought when I said, you know, I'm going to be a wrestler. I didn't really think about like the sex symbol aspect of it. I didn't think about the the notoriety aspect of it at all. I was just like, cool, get to like jump around and travel the world. I'm all in. And those were the aspects that spoke to me was like going city to city and getting to use your body to be physical and jump around. Um, that's what I really liked. And so it was and yeah, when I started getting these paychecks, I had accumulated some debt trying to wrestle. So that was my payment plan was like, cool, I can pay off my debt. And then once I paid that off, I mean, it wasn't a lot, but to me, it was a lot. You know, it was like probably a few thousand dollars of just putting my gas and everything on, on credit card. And then after that was paid off, I was kind of like, huh, what do you, well, I got some money coming in now. You know, it was like kind of, there was so much an afterthought and I just kind of just put my check in the bank and 
um, you know, I always joke like, you know, I don't have to ask how much guacamole costs extra on my <laughs> Chipotle. But other than that, I just kind of spend money like a punk kid. So, and I guess like, uh, you know, going back to th- this moment where all of a sudden you are becoming, you know, recognized in all these things and, and on the road and, and, and you're, you're a star at this point. Was that something that took a moment to process as well? Like people coming up to you and, and, and just recognizing you? Yeah, it was kind of, we, that was weird. Um, and then very quickly it just kind of became part of, cause they weren't like, Hey, we're at a show and we have a common interest and I'm talking to you because I know who you are on TV, but we're like, there's already some sort of common understanding. This was like, Oh, you're buying lettuce and we're at the grocery store and you know, and, and so yeah. that it was more, yeah, it was strange, but it more just became a thing where it, it, it just became part of an obligation of my job. I was like, well, these people are fans. And like, I didn't even look at it like, oh, this is cool. It makes me cooler, or more important, or this is lame. I don't like people talking to me. It was kind of just like, oh, I guess there's another aspect I didn't really think about. But okay, cool. Thank you. Nice to meet you. And I, it was just like, carry on it just kind of i just looked at it more like a part of um like giving appreciation to somebody who enabled me to do my thing Mm -hmm. who were you looking at when you were watching like when you were watching wrestling in the beginning when you first started getting into it and you were like i'm going to be a wrestler Mm -hmm. were you thinking i'm going to be on raw like i'm going to be because there's so few women on that program at that time like you kicked open a lot of those doors and like that's like the highest stage. That would be like watching, uh, you know, a Metallica video and being like, oh, I'm going to be a Metallica one day. Yeah. Yeah. I was just because that was like, I might as well, like, you know, so I was like, I just want to go to the top. So I'll just keep putting one foot in front of the other to see if I can get to the top. And I'm also like, I, I was having a lot of fun getting there and my mm-hmm. story is in Mexico. And I'm like, all right, if this like thing takes a super wonky left turn, that's okay. Because I'm, I said the thing out loud and I'm trying. So like whatever happens is, is I'm cool with that. And, and it, and it happened. <laughs> like it ever happened. Yeah. It's pretty, it's really weird. It shouldn't have happened. I don't know how it happened really. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, I think this has been awesome to hear the story. Obviously like all the punk stuff's been incredible, but just like the kind of like manifest destiny of the whole thing. Like the fact that like, this is something that you basically willed into reality, but like something that didn't exist at that time. Like, like you dreamt up this whole thing and then it's now real. Well, but I mean, for, I took it directly from, you know, the, the bands that were my favorite, like they were my Metallica with, mm-hmm. you know, Kryptonite or seven seconds. And like the same dudes that just drove themselves. there, are the same people that sold me the merch or the same people that played the, sh- like my favorite songs. So I was like, look, they, they can do their favorite thing. They, like, they can do my favorite thing. So I can do my favorite thing too. Like I, it just, it seemed very, but it was, it's all because of punk rock. So, and how about now? Like, are you, I know you've done obviously the Lucha Gores, but are you going to do more music, do you think? Or do you want to get back more? Like, you know, still doing wrestling as well, but like, do you want to get more into doing music stuff again? I always think about it if I'm, if I'm bored, because I'm like, I do enjoy it. And I would, would like to do it more just with friends to play local shows or something. I don't think it'd be really something I would put energy into touring because I am currently um, working on a television show and I've really enjoyed getting behind the scenes in, in wrestling and actively trying to help 
people that are are trying to to forge their own path. It's been really rewarding to me because it's like I really don't need another day in the sun. I, I did way more than I ever thought I would set out to do. But if there's something I can do to help somebody achieve their dream or or go it's easy just keep going like it's okay like take a left turn like veer to the right it's no big deal and if i can have somebody like help help them or give them some advice that i got throughout that could help them that, that's been really rewarding to me and uh before i let you go i gotta find out one more thing did you take the photo on the damnation ad while i split seven inch I think so. Okay. I, I, is it them smashed in front of their van or something? No, it's a picture of I think a seashell. And oh, yeah. Um, but you're 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 listed as on the credits as one of the people that did the cover art, and I was always wondering if you took that photo. Yeah, probably so. Those walleye guys were always around, and I and I've been to been uh, you know hung out with them pretty much because again, Del- Delaware, you're creeping from because you're north of the Mason Dixon there from. Um, as far as calling it local to Atlanta. But when I was living in DC, that Delaware Philly scene was all kind of part of the same thing too. And those Jade tree um, bands were always around too. I know I'm a former Jade tree recording artist. This, the connections are unending. (laughs) I know we can find so many more. Oh, well, anytime you want to come back here, please, please know Amy that this door is always open. And if I ever see you in public, I will definitely come up and talk to you about punk rock. I promise. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you, Amy, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Amy will be back for a part two. Holy. How sick was that? That's why I do these things. You know, that's why I do these things. Um, Anyway, next week on the show, uh, we're going to keep the hits coming. We got another legend in an entirely different field, but someone that really, you know, without this person, I don't think anyone in a band would be doing any touring. Well, right now, no one's doing any touring. But I mean, like, in general, no one would be doing any touring on a DIY level. I would argue uh, even a not-DIY level um, without this person in a lot of ways. Next week on the show, Joey Keithley, a.k.a. Joey Shithead. And, oh, my gosh, get stoked. It's a good one. It's a good one. Well... That does it for another show for me here at Turned Out of Punk. Thank you, everyone, again for checking out Wrestling Week. Check out if you're a fan of wrestling. We got we got tons of wrestling episodes in that the archives. So check out the episode with um, well, definitely check out MVP's episode and MVP and Zach Blair's episode. But Brody King, Darby Allen, um, uh, Jimmy Jacobs, Sami Zayn, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of wrestlers that I've had on the show over the years. Uh, so go back and check them out. Uh, that's it. Go out there and sign your organ donor cards. Stay inside. Stay safe right now. Uh, we're going to get through this, okay, everyone? We're going to get through this. I keep telling myself that. And uh, that's it. I'll see you next week. I love you. <laughs>